Welcome to Being the Change podcast. I'm Isabel Kiosean here with Kristen Vandeveer. We are the founders of Meditation Without Borders and creators of Being the Change podcast. We have a super amazing guest today, total badass woman. <laughs> we have Saskia Rivera here with us today. She is the co-founder and spokesperson of Reinserta. I'm going to read uh, a little bit about her bio, um, just highlight the important things, because if not, we'll get, be here for half an hour just reading everything that she's done. <laughs> <laughs> she has a degree in psychology and is a member of the National Observatory for the Prevention of Recruitment of Girls, Boys, and Adolescents by Organized Crime. She is a member of the Comprehensive, um, oh, as well as the Economic and Social Council of Mexico City. Likewise, by direct appointment of the Mexican president, she serves as a permanent guest of civil society to the National Public Security Council for the period of 2019-2021. She participated in the development of Advanced United Nations Standard for the Mexican Prison System with the UNODC. She's a public speaker on topics such as the reconstruction of the social fabric, reintegration, security, and childhood in prison. In the same way, she collaborates as a columnist and special guest in different national media. Thanks to her career, she is the winner of the Vital Voices Leadership in Public Life Award 2019. On behalf of Reinserta, she received the recognition of the Love Prize for Youth Advocacy of the 17th Summit of the Nobel Peace Prize. She is a winner of the Semefi Commitment to Others 2019 Recognition and the International Award 2020 from the Diane von Fustenberg Foundation. Similarly, Reinserta was awarded by the Ilan Foundation with the 2020 Peace Prize. She is a co-author of the books Un Sicario en Cada Hijo Te Dio, a book about girls and boys co-opted by the first organized crime in Mexico and No es no guía de actuación ante la violencia sexual en México, conoce, actúa, denuncia y acompaña, which is No is no guide to action against sexual violence in Mexico, no act, denounce, and accompany. So we have this amazing guest today. Thank you so much for being here today. <laughs> Basically, she's a one woman revolution changing the entire Mexican penal system. <laughs> to summarize. <laughs> Thank you so much. No, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure for me to be here with you guys. Thank you for inviting me. I was reading about your history and um, I was reading about how you began some of this work. It sounds like you started even in high school um, doing work with impoverished people and, um, and then someone in your family was kidnapped. Would you mind giving kind of the beginning of your, your mission? Yeah. Well, I think that um, as Mexicans, we are very much in contact with the violence in our country. Um, I, I haven't ever met a Mexican, and I, I do not say that this with any kind of pride, but I've never met a Mexican that has not suffered in firsthand, direct or indirectly, some sort of violence in, in, in our country. Um, so I'm definitely not going to talk about the kidnapping from a pity kind of situation where, oh, my family went through this. There's many, many families that go through this and many other things here in, in this country. And um, what I can talk about is how the different events of my life have definitely formed me and helped me to understand um, life in a different manner. And 
I think the key is having the humility to look at the opportunities that you're confronted with on a day-by-day basis um, as opportunities. And once you're filled with narcissism, you, 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 you don't get to see those opportunities. Definitely when I was in high school, I got the opportunity to work with a nonprofit that works with children that live on the streets. My job was to give sex ed to children, teenagers that were living um, in, on the streets. And it was really an eye-opening situation for me because I do come from a very much privileged to have family and not in a wealth kind of sense, but in a, in a sense of I've never suffered hunger. I've never had to sleep um, on the streets. I've never had violence inside my house. I've never had uh, parents that don't share the love they have for me or for my brothers and sisters. Um, so I've been very, very um, lucky in that sense. And when I was on the streets, looking at these 12-year-old, 15-year-old girls that were pregnant, that had babies, that were living on the streets, that were doing drugs in order to control the hunger, um, it was really eye-opening because it's it wasn't in, in areas of the city, Mexico City, that I go through every day. Maybe I go, I used to go there. Maybe I used to pass through there to go to a restaurant or to a friend's house or, or to go to school or anything. And I've never realized that under the pavements uh, behind certain um, construction buildings, et cetera, et cetera, there were children that were actually homeless living on the streets. And there were kids and, and babies that were, um, that were living this kind of situation. So this was a great opportunity for me to really start understanding the different types of realities that my country has. And then when I was 17, of course, my, a family member of mine was kidnapped and this was, really interesting for me as well because it my father was the one who negotiated the kidnapping so we practically lived at my family member's house with my cousins and it was super interesting because not only is the victim kidnapped but the family is kidnapped as well because you're tied to the telephone ringing at every time of the day or some days and other days it doesn't ring, etc. And I started to see a pattern where the phone didn't ring on Sundays. And I remember the third Sunday that it didn't ring. I started to question myself, why are, why, why are the kidnappers not calling on Sundays? What happens on Sundays that the kidnappers don't call on Sundays? And it was really interesting because it was Sunday is a family day. It's a day you go to church. It's a day you have family overs in your house. It's a day it's 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 a it's a it's a day of rest it's a day of in the catholic religion um which most mexicans um have and it was interesting because it, it was a first aha moment if we could say it that way of right these people are not monsters that have two heads and six arms they're people just like any of us and the first reflection was 
what did these people go through in their life in order to think that they could take the life of someone in their hands and exchange it for money. Um, and after that, my life got a straight line towards what I do today. And, and I'm definitely completely in love with what I do today. Um, the first time I walked, I, I worked in kidnapping negotiations for a while. And then I started to work inside the prisons. And the first project that I did was a profiling for kidnappers in Mexico, working with 800 kidnappers around the country. And this was super interesting because it really gave me a perspective on who these people are and what their life looks like and what their life looked like when they were growing up and 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 everything and that was really interesting for me because if 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 something i know for sure is that we are co-responsible for the country that we have and if we don't think that the violence and the injustice in our country is that then we're in a huge error um, because it's very easy to say them and that, but we don't say us from a perspective on what have we done to really stop the violence and to really create equal opportunities. And I'm not justifying any crime. I just, I, I do want to be very clear on this because a lot of people sometimes say, oh, you're justifying criminals, blah, blah, blah. I don't. People that commit crimes have to be in prison and have to, there has to be justice. But if we want to talk about prevention, if we want to talk about stopping the violence, then we really have to think of justice and criminal justice from a different perspective. And I think that's that's what we're trying to do. It gave me chills just hearing you talk <laughs> about this. It's so beautiful. Um, and the fact that at such a young age, you are able to see the human beyond the crime. Um, and that takes such a big perspective and and... Um, and that, that your work is based on that, is based on empathy. Um, and that empathy does not mean disregarding the crime. That doesn't mean, you know, that justice doesn't get served. But that if we can lead with empathy, then we can maybe even, we can change the system. Because a lot of this, I, I think, um, people fall into this impossible, impossible system once they fall into crime in Mexico. Is that true? Would you mind talking a little bit about the um, the psych, the University of Crime? I believe is what I read. That is. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think um, the normalization of violence. Um, I, I I don't want to say is. Crime, violence equals crime, right? So if you are brought up in a world where violence prevails it doesn't mean you're going to be a criminal, but sure as hell means that the risk factors for you to commit a crime are much, much higher than someone that does not um, have, is, doesn't grow in a space where violence is completely normalized. Something that I've definitely seen, especially with juvenile offenders, is how they are taught on violence. Um, either their households has extreme violence in them or their parents are part of organized crimes or just different um, violence that they start to normalize and that they start to see as a way of living. And right now, for example, 
actually we're gonna tomorrow we're presenting um, a study that has to do with children recluded on organized crime and it's really interesting but these kids were recluded and trained to kill by the age of eight nine and ten years of age and my biggest reflection on this has to do with if you have an eight-year-old kid that is committing a crime and has a gun in his hand, he is everything but guilty. There's a society around him that is completely guilty. And I think not only prisons, but in general, the violence that we live, and not only in Mexico, but in many parts of the world, um, is seen as from a punitive kind of, kind of glass. It's like, once you commit the crime, I am gonna punish you. But whatever happens to you before is not my problem. Mm-hmm. And I think that is where we really have to create a, a reflection on, is this the way to really stop um, the, 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 the violence, especially with our children? And I, what, what we read was that you originally started studying law um, because you want to create a change through that, and then you switch to psychology so you could better understand uh, the psycho, you know, the psychology behind the person. So it's not about just judging the crime, but which is what we've been talking about, but going behind and actually understanding where it comes from and creating change from there. And um, and I know you've done so much research on this and presenting this research is what has helped you actually be able to change the laws of how things work. So can you tell us a little bit about about that and what the process has been like to, you know, the whole research of the psychology and how through that you've been able to change some of the laws? You said it sounds really interesting that you put it that way, that I changed careers because I wanted to better understand. That's totally not true. I was <laughs> super dumb in school. I had the worst time in school. Um, I was at Elitam during five years and I was so depressed and I had such bad grades and it was like, what the hell am I doing with my life? Um, and psychology was definitely an easy way out. I wouldn't do that thing again ever. But it definitely did give me studying law and studying psychology did give me a good base. But my, I, for sure, my university has been the practice and has been the prisons and it has been talking to people that are incarcerated, talking to children that have, or, that have or are going through violent situations. And I think school gave me the sort of the big picture on maybe what I wanted to do or, or, or what I was aiming to do, but it was the real university that I had was work. And I started working when I was 18. Um, I started working in an anti-kidnapping division for crisis negotiation and kidnapping negotiations. And this was being with the families and understanding what they go through as victims um, to negotiate the life of a family member, of a daughter, of a son, of a father, of a mother, a brother, whatever. Um, and then going into the federal government, working in the government and being the liaison director for the anti-kidnapping 
group of segregation in prisons for kidnapped prison, whatnot. It was my opportunity to walk the different prisons, talk to the inmates, talk to the guards, talk to everyone that has to do with the prison system. I completely fell in love with the prison system, which sounds super weird, I know, but it's super, <laughs> super true. Um, and I think that I invent myself and I am a better person, I believe, every day. Um, learning just you know I, I learned something new and I think Reinserta is the best Reinserta is the best example on how you, you have to see the opportunities that you're faced with every day and create strategic very very strategic actions to create something. If you would have asked me 10 years ago what Reinserta would be, um, I would have said Reinserta is going to change the prison system in Mexico. Today, nine years after I created Reinserta, I co-founded Reinserta. Reinserta is an organization that works with kids that are in contact with the criminal justice system, either because they committed a crime as, as children, either because they live in prisons with their mothers, either because their parents are in prison, or because they're survivors of hardcore crimes in this country. Um, and they have to go through the system because they have to testify against the, the rapist, or they have to testify on how they killed their father in front of them, or they are human traffic survivors, or, 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 or any of the of, of how of these realities that unfortunately the violence in this country has left and is happening every day. I'm not sure if I even answered your question. No, but I love it. I love it. And <laughs> no, you did. And you also touched on other very important things that I wanna I wanna talk about. Firstly, you talk about how um, there's a lot, and we were talking about me and Kristen about this bef before you logged in about there's this sense of othering, and that's part of the the problem. We are like, oh, the the criminals, the criminals. We're not the criminals. We're we're mm -hmm. totally fine, and that's one of the a bigger the bigger issues there at hand that we have to that we have to work on. And when I went um, with uh, one of the groups of Reinserta to one of the prisons, what I found was that um, the women there are just regular human beings, just regular women. And I was very impressed with that. And um, it was such a beautiful experience that, you know, you, you, you have, I had this idea of what people in prison were like, oh yeah, they're criminals. And they're like, no, they're actual normal human beings. And, and when we were, you know, researching more and more about you, what we found was exactly that's what you want to do. You want to humanize the inhuman. And it's such a powerful way of dealing with things um, because we need to change the consciousness. And that's part of the beautiful work that you're doing, not just putting it into action, but kind of like the behind the scenes <laughs> of that's what's actually, you know, part of, of, the process of shifting, shifting uh, the system that we're in. So I don't know if you would comment a little bit on that. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. I think, I think, oh, I don't know what to comment on that. Um, <laughs> um, I think, I, 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 I think Reinserta has worked firsthand with 
um, these people, these children, and we've seen how the system per se is not really creating justice. And I think, for example, the United States is a huge example on this. Does the criminal justice system really serve justice to the people? Um, I definitely think we're looking at justice from a different perspective. We are understanding justice from a punitive kind of way. It's like you do something, you're gonna get punished. And this sort of like big brother kind of situation where we have more cameras and more policemen on the streets and, and, and we have harsher punishment and we have more people in prison. And we, this is for me, not a solution on creating peace. And I don't want to talk about creating peace from a romantic kind of way, you know, because the, the <laughs> I want world peace sort of phrase has been completely prostituted by by many people that we don't want to mention in this space. <laughs> um, um, but but I, I do I do believe that we have to shift how we are doing things because how we are doing things is not working. And for, I'm just going to give an example. Um, in the U.S., for, for an example, you have the death penalty. The death penalty has been proven that it does not, it does not bring down criminal rates. But still, you insist on having the, 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 the death penalty, right? It's not it's my fault. Same. No, no, no. I, I am. I have the right to talk about this. I am a U.S. citizen as well. So I talk about the U.S. as my home country as well. No, I am a U.S. Mexican. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, we have the same thing in Mexico. It's like here in Mexico, the Senate every year is like, we are bringing up the sentence on this and this and this and this crime. And now we have sentences that are 80, 90, 100, 200, 500 years. Does that even, is that even part of prevention? Like, does that even work as a prevention strategy? It doesn't. And we have to stop thinking that it does and, and, and really dare to create different um, strategies, shift the system on what is definitely not working. For anyone, and when you you were talking, Isa, about this, stop talking about the others and start talking about us, because I definitely think that the segregation of skin colors, kind of money you have in the bank, where you were born, how you speak, what language you speak, like all these segregations and discriminations just separate us. When truth be told we are all looking at the world from a very alike point of view. We all want to live in a world where peace prevails. But if we don't unify and we, we don't understand that it's our responsibility and not someone else's responsibility. I was talking to these group of businessmen and women last night in a Zoom. It was like 200 of them. And I was saying, how many of you do likes on Facebook or on Instagram and how many of you put a post saying how offended you are because something happened, believing that you are actually making a change because you posted something on social media or because you liked a comment. But in your day, on your day, on your day by day, you are the same asshole as <laughs> many assholes that we have in the world <laughs> no it, i don't know if that even makes sense what i'm trying to say um 
there was something I read of yours that said like success is based on how many people you impact and help. Yeah. I feel like that's getting to what you're saying. It's like, it's it's stop thinking of success as, you know, how much money, how much money I have. Right. But success is like, what, what are you doing for your extended self? You know, what are you doing for for the other people in your community and for your wider community? Are you seeing children as just other children or are all children, your children, you know? How big is your awareness? Of course, no. Wow. I, 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 I was this. The, there's this activist here in Mexico whose name is Isabel Miranda de Wallace. She is a anti-kidnapping activist, and she, her son was kidnapped and killed a couple of years ago here in Mexico. And they invited us to this interview um, on TV, and it was funny because technically we're enemies as she sees us because it's like she helps victims and I help victimizers or whatever it's not true but that's how people see it and when we started the interview I said she is definitely not gonna public shame me on tv so I started saying I I think we all have to understand Isabel that I'm on your team and I think you're on my team as well just the fact I'm a mother my daughter was three months old in that moment and I said I am a mother and the fact that they've killed your son means that they've killed my daughter as well and I think that they we have to see the world from that optic it's like oh we because we don't did you hear what happened to so and so it's like he got robbed or her mother was killed or her daughter was killed or her brother her sister was raped and you talk about it like it happens to someone else when it could have been you and you should have you you have to live it as if it were you because if not, we're in a deep piece of pile of crap. Yeah. Because if not till it happens to you, then you're not gonna. And that's why, Christian, when when you started talking about what I've went through in my life to be where I am today, definitely the different my life story has helped me create a project of my own that I'm very proud. And that I completely love, but not because I am a survivor of means that that's why I do what I do. Because a lot of people use that as an excuse not to do something. Oh, yeah. I've, that's never happened to me. Yeah. That's, I don't have to do anything. It's happening. Yeah. If there, if, if we have, if the, the breakfast I had this morning, that's why I was late. It was on combating child pornography here in Mexico and, and 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 one of the guy that I was having breakfast with he said I I have three kids and for me it's the to see everything that is happening it was yeah the fact that right now there's a child that is being prostituted that is the same age as my daughter it's like if my daughter was being pro- like prostituted because that's how we have to start understanding think there's a mother that is suffering because her child is being prostituted because her father her daughter or her son are missing because they are in the hands of human trafficking um and if we don't i don't know how to say it in english but nos sentimos indignados i would say it's how would you say it is if like we feel like offended like if yeah if, if we don't feel mm-hmm. offended by the yeah. fact that someone is going through that as if we were going through it ourselves then 
we lack of compassion. And if we lack on compassion, there's no way, no way we are gonna strive for a better tomorrow, I believe. That's so fascinating where you're talking about, you know, your colleague being on different sides, but really what- We're on the same side. Yeah, victims victimize. So it's like, these are all victims, you know, (laughs) we're all victims. And those who are, like you said, even those who have been untouched by violence somehow, if your awareness is outside yourself, then you're still victimized because you can't watch another person suffer. Yeah, for sure. So, so (laughs) to blur these boundaries is what will help us reach out. We need to start, those of us up need to reach down, you know, (laughs) like and pull up. And, um, and I, I did want to talk to you as you're talking about being a mother. Um, there's something I didn't realize until I was researching for this interview because I didn't know how the system worked in Mexico that mothers have their children in prisons yeah. till six years old. That happens um, in the state too, three. Till three, yes. But yeah. I, yeah, like I have a daughter who's one of my daughters is um, just turned seven. So the idea of her having spent her entire life in prison up until this moment I would, I would love if you could talk about that system and how, um, and and what it's like to to work with these mothers and children. Um, so I think gender-based imprisonment is a thing because we have more women in prison every time. And I do believe that women in prison has to do with the the fact that there's more and more equality every time. And before women did not commit crimes, not because they're not capable of committing a crime, but because they're at home and they didn't have to <laughs> provide and they didn't have to do a lot of things, right? So um, I think what we don't think about is if there is a woman that is detained, if there is a woman that is in prison, is this woman a mother? Or is this woman pregnant? Or is this woman going to be pregnant eventually during her time in prison? Mexico is different from the United States in the fact that we have a system that guarantees human rights. And I do say on semicolons because we definitely don't guarantee human rights. (laughs) But the U.S., for example, has a system that guarantees security. So security is on top of of human rights. Here in Mexico, human rights are technically on top of everything. So people that are in prison do not lose their rights, their human rights and a woman's right to reproduction is a right that not because you commit a crime is taken away from you. Um, So in Mexico, when I started Reinserta, it was, the maternity in prison was not regulated. Actually, one of the first things that Reinserta did when we um, created Reinserta was create the first law ever in Mexico to exist that regulates children in prison. Because we had different states that had children in prison till the age of 10, till the age of 12, till the age of six, children that were not allowed to be in prison with their mother and they were taken away at the hospital once they were born. children that so what we did is we created a federal law that regulate that regulated maternity in prison overall so here in mexico 
as of 2016-17, children that are born in prison have the right to stay with their mothers till the age of three. Um, they have to live, live in violence, violent free spaces, which is hard because it's prison. Um, actually, one of the projects that we have in Reserta is creating um, nonviolent spaces for children to grow up in, inside the prison system. And at three, they are separated from their mothers. It, it, yeah, it is a traumatizing. I know, I when people that. hear that for the first time, it's like, what? Like, what? <laughs> it must be so, so, so challenging for, for, for it's everyone heartbreaking. Involved. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. It is heartbreaking. Um, especially, you know what the hardest part on maternity and prison is the separation. Yeah, because because of because we have a punitive system, the separation of the children and their mothers has to do with the fact that most of these women are going to spend the rest of their life in prison. So it's it's sort of a, a maternity, but it's shared with someone else because someone else has to has to be part of um, of of a system because you're in prison that you not get you cannot take that you cannot take control on right? right so when i talk to these mothers um most of these women they say well my teenage son for example he doesn't want to talk to me and he's doing drugs he's misbehaving and the most i can do is call him on the phone i need someone on the other end of the phone that helps me through this right. if my son doesn't come see me if my daughter doesn't come see me then i can't scold them or i can't try to educate them because it's an education sort of at a distance so who takes in that role and what happens right. to these children afterwards right that's was the question that came to me was like where did what happens you know they live in yeah, this so kind of institutionalized system and then they're outside and like who's taking care of them how are they integrating um and then the poor mothers how are they able to deal with that separation yeah yeah that, that is definitely and not only uh, not only the mothers um the children as well because how do you explain to a child um that what they were born in is an institution that is for people that have damaged the society and that they are being punished. You can't explain that to a, to a, to a three-year-old, right? Right. So how, how do you, how do you make these children understand that they're going to be far? Cause you could talk about a woman being a criminal, right? But to, for you, she's a criminal for someone. It's their mother. Yeah. Right. So how do you explain to a kid? It's like your mother is not going to come out of prison. You have to come out of prison because you have to make this child understand that their relationship with their mothers and their fathers as well, because most of these kids have their fathers in prison as well, too, um, are going to spend. And the relationship that they're going to have is going to be constructed on a distance or on the days that they can visit the prison. Yeah. Um, and then it's really interesting because when you work with the kids that were born in prison, when they understand, and this normally comes after, they have to live it. So once they're separated from their moms and they start making a life outside the prison and they understand that the four walls of a prison is not 
the world, but there's yeah. so much more to the world than that. And once they start um, having conversation and being with other people that understand that the prison is a bad place, and then they start saying, okay, so if this, the prison is a bad place and my mother is a bad person, then they start getting really pissed off at their mothers. Yeah. So it's like a cycle. It's a really, it's a really interesting cycle. I was trying to think about like, what, what is an ideal situation here? How do you fix this? And I, like the, my mind just kept going to like, you have to fix it all. Like the whole society has to change. Like, <laughs> I'm like, this cannot yeah. happen because this is, this is, this is broken. Um, I'm like, it cannot have children coming into the world like this, but to fix it, it, it requires an overhaul of the entire way, you know, the whole system so that people are not ending up in this in this cycle to begin with so I love when I was reading about your work you work on from so many different facets from so many different faces of it you're working with the the guards you're working with the children you're working with the children who who are in danger of going into prison you know you have the halfway house you have it's, it's just like everything it's like you're coming at it from all the angles which is a way of actually changing it systematically which I've, i admire completely <laughs> it's just for me it's like people are like oh but you work with juvenile criminals but you also work with survivors but you also work i work with kids that are in contact with violence yeah for me it doesn't matter if you're a 14 year old hitman working for an organized crime or if you're a kid that has been raped systematically the last three years of your life. The reality and the common denominator of both of you is that you have systemized violence in your, in your, in, 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 in your person. And this is super unhealthy, right? Um, and that's how we have to see things from that point of view. I liked, um, it seems, and reading and how you, you work, that you empower the, the people that you're helping um, by having them take on a role of helping others. Um, I, I would love you to talk a little bit about how that empowerment, like it, I would think if these people have been in a um, system that has just been telling them that they're nothing, they're nothing, they're nothing, that that piece would, would be important to give them some some sense of value self-value we were, and self-worth we were preparing last night till very late at night um a video with this production that's called human here in mexico um on kids that have been recluded by organized crime because we did a study where we have 67 um testimonies on children that were recluded by organized crime and they were very much in shock because they went to one of the, the, the children's prisons and they talked to some of these kids and there was two of the kids that talked about the crimes they've committed with a lot of pride. But these kids are crazy, like they're psychopaths. They talk about, you know, killing people or kidnapping people with pride. Um, and I said, it's, I, I compared it to a really obese person, right? So mm -hmm. it's like when you're in a room and a really obese person walks in, he is going to be the first one to make to laugh on his on his obesity, mm -hmm. right? You, you know that kind of character says, "Yeah, me," yeah. and because I'm so fat and because of that, he is putting out there what everyone is seeing and what he thinks he is valued for. That's a yeah. depression, right? 
Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with these kids and working in the halfway house with these kids has been really interesting because when you ask him, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, you're a super, super good kidnapper at age of 14. Okay, let's get that out of the, of the <laughs> way. What else do you, are you? Yeah. And when you question them on that, it's like, I'm no one. Like, literally, I'm no one. And the world hates mm-hmm. me because of what I've done. And since I've been born, I was taught to do this. And this is who I am. And it's like, no, it's not who you are. It's not, it's what you were taught, but you are so much more. There's this one kidnapper that I worked with. He started working with his father in kidnappings since the age of 11. He was in contact with this world. And we started working with him when he was 15. And I, I talked to him a couple of times and I said, like, let's, let's, let, what did you do? Like, as a kidnapper, what would you do? And he said, he would, he would do the strategy on where the person goes through. Um, he would, and he started talking about strategic planning and he started talking about leadership and he started talking about all these things. Let's take all these qualities and put them somewhere else. Yeah. Something mm-hmm. that is not harming our country and people. Um, and it was really interesting because in 2017, Mexico had, um, uh, earthquake, uh, a very big earthquake, and he organized with his leadership. He organized a group of juvenile offenders that went out and helped children who's who had lost their houses on the earthquake, and did different activities. and And they organized food and and clothing, and and they did everything. And then um, the year after that, they started they went to the march the the mother's day march here in mexico protest that is organized by women whose children especially their daughters are um missing and they took food and they fed the women that were protesting that were marching right the women the mothers that were looking for their daughters and it was super interesting because some of them were part or had been part of organized groups that were responsible for disappearing these women. Um, and now they're on the, on, the, on the other side, but he organized this, right? And now he yeah. was something more than what he was taught to be. Um, and I thought that was really interesting as well. Oh gosh, like my heart hurts like in a good way, like <laughs> hearing about that. It's amazing, you're, you're humanizing, you know, it, it's, you're changing the perspective you're humanizing people outside the system to help and you're humanizing people within the system to see themselves as human and not just their crimes. Um, so it's, it's beautiful how that is coming together. In we, we all, we, we, we all mess up. I think we all deserve <laughs> a second opportunity, you know, like we've all, we've, yeah. we've, we, we've all screwed it up in some way in our life um, in one way or another. And again, I'm not justifying, but I think that if there's a tribe in Africa um, that when someone commits a crime, the leaders of the tribe get together and they take this person that has committed a crime and they take him out to the to the nature and they work with him to heal him emotionally um, because they understand that the first sense of someone that is harming someone else is because they're harmed um, as a human. So I think this is really nice. Instead of just being, okay, you're going to have a lifetime sentence and that is your punishment. What else? Is that enough? Hmm. Um, And I think those are the things that we have to start questioning ourselves. Are we doing enough in the justice, in the criminal justice system to um, really integrate people 
yeah. that are harming our society. Yeah, yes. I I absolutely love, love, love this. Um, in the Vedic tradition, which is uh, the tradition that our meditation comes from, we we say that everybody is in an evolutionary process. No, we're, we're like you were saying before, like every day you become a better person. And I think that that the idea is for that to be true for, for everyone. And, you know, as you were saying, everybody deserves uh, a second chance. And I, and I love that you're giving, you know, different people, different ways of, of kind of jumping in that evolutionary process and, you know, trying to heal from within, understand that they don't have to be a product of their circumstances and use those abilities to target something that is uplifting. So just, I'm in completely awe of everything that you're doing. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. Thank you. It's beautiful. No, thank you. And it's not me. It's, I'm just, I'm just the, the spokesperson for this organization that I think is doing a hell of a job. And I see it at my teammates every day, um, risking their life and, and giving everything to, to really healing our country. And I really admire and respect that. And uh, I wanted to ask you, because I know that you're, you're a mother, you're, you're recently, well, a few years ago, you became a mother. And I want to ask you if, if that's impacted um, your work in, in some way. It has for sure. I thought I was, I didn't have many feelings before I became a mother. And then you become a mother and the guilt and the responsibility and everything just is overwhelming. Um, and I found a reason that is bigger than any other reason to do what I do. And I make more strategic plans and actions, understanding that I am a mother. And it's really interesting right now. I was, they're doing, um, there's a, there's an effort being made by some people to prevent and to stop child pornography. Um, and they, they wanted to invite me. And before I would have been, yes, yes, I'm full in and, you know, let's do this secret action. And yes. And of course, I'm, I, I, if I can help, I'm definitely going to help. But since I'm a mother, I also weigh the factors of being in a dangerous situation um and that sort of gives me mixed feelings because i i love my job profoundly and i love my daughter profoundly so it's it's a battle every day for sure <laughs> well i see it as you're a mother you're like a you're mothering in your job and you're mothering at home and yeah you know just stepping sure. in between your big mom and and the macro and the micro. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much. This has been completely enlightening experience for me to both learn about the systems there and learn about all that you're doing to help. No, thank you. Thank you for opening your, your microphones in this space for, for, for me and to talk about all of this. It's so necessary, so necessary um, because... You know, it's not only about changing the inside, but the outside. And and together we have to, you know, shift everything and, and become united. So thank you so much for 
the work that you do and um, for sharing your, your time and your words and your wisdom um, to all of our listeners. No, thank you guys. <laughs> thank you. <laughs>